Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 186, Teaching Skills or Creating Aviators, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, hello, aviators. This is Carl Valeri, and I'm here with the Stuck Mike Avcast and the rest of the crew. You know, this is a really fun episode. We're going to talk a little bit about creating a- aviators as opposed to just training pilots. And boy, that's an interesting and a nuanced uh, type of a topic here. But I am joined with uh, friends from all over the country here. I'm uh, Tom Frick. Hey, Tom, how's it going? I'm doing good, Carl. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. And uh, let's see, Rick Felty from the Hello. Uh, the north uh, section of the country, northeast, and also coming down the mid-Atlantic states, and probably, I think, maybe trying to duck a hurricane coming is Victoria Newville. You know, every time these hurricanes come, we're kind of curious if it's going to hit us or not. It looks like it's going to be just south, so this weekend it looks like we may not have rain, but if it doesn't go south, we're going to have a ton of rain, so... At least it's just rain. You know, I saw a weather map, and I think I saw you folks flinching a little bit. And just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you do that all the time in these storms, it seems like. Well, anyway, uh, welcome all, and uh, I'm just excited about this topic because it's something that I've been talking about quite often, and I'll tell you a little bit about why. Um, I've recently been involved in doing a lot of career coaching, obviously, with my other podcast, and it just lately I've been doing a lot of terminations and uh, helping people through the termination process and how to get back on their feet and get another job. And, uh, and then I had this discussion about transitioning for, from certain types of aircraft to others. And someone said, you know, we really don't train our pilots properly. And then I picked up a magazine, an aviation magazine. And I read a statement from the editor that said, quote unquote, flight training is great for teaching skills, but is terrible for making pilots. And uh, I was like, you know, this started this process in my head. And I, I got a little angry, actually, at that statement. And then I thought about it and started asking others and thought maybe what he said was correct. Uh, so today I want to discuss, you know, how we can better prepare ourselves for a real world flying while also accepting the fact that your pilot certificate is truly a license to learn. Because remember, a good pilot is always learning. Let's do the pre-flight. But before we dive into this discussion, a quick word from our sponsor. Our sponsor, of course, is AviationCareersPodcast.com with scholarships, career coaching, and interview preparation. Go to AviationCareersPodcast.com, listen to the free podcast, and also get there's quite a few free videos out there to help you move forward in your career. Uh, oh, and one more news and announcement. Uh, the, you know the, the NAL report? It comes out every year, and I forget the month it comes out, but I do know one thing that did come out, which I like because it's a summary, is the General Aviation Accident Scorecard. If someone knows when the uh, actual one comes up, uh, you can let me know. I'm trying to quickly read through it. But anyway, the 2016-17 General Aviation 
accident scorecard came out. That's easy for me to say, but what's really cool about the scorecard is that we're seeing a trend downward in fatal accidents, even though we're seeing a trend upward in the number of hours in the aircraft. And I think uh, we can attribute some of that, uh, not just to statistical anomalies, but, uh, you know, in a small pool, we can't really, eh, we can kind of say, yeah, this is statistically incorrect. But in a large pool, like we're talking about in general aviation, we know that these trends have been going in the right direction for years and uh, really excited about that. So I think, though, um, one of the things that is interesting is with that discussion in the, the null report, and j- check that out. It's really cool. It talks about all different types of general aviation accidents and helicopters and commercial GA and non-commercial GA doing a much better job, of course, uh, with accidents, et cetera, and, and uh, fatalities, even with more flight hours. But some of the insurance rates uh, have been going up. And I guess uh, one of the reasons is uh, due to uh, some of the cost of aircraft going up. And I, I don't you know, Victoria, I guess we have somebody who knows insurance. Have you seen a, a bit of an uptick like I've been reading about at some other and talking to other insurance agents about? Is that true in the general aviation world? It is. Um, insurance rates have been at an all-time low for the past few years, especially due to the competition of new insurance carriers in the market. And now things are starting to harden. And I'm seeing a lot of my renewals have a 5 to 15% increase this year. Interesting. Interesting. And, um, and is some of that attributed to the increased cost of the aircraft, I'm assuming, the whole uh, no, it's, um, you know, a lot of the underwriters are telling us, saying, hey, this aircraft we haven't had a good year with. It's it's uh, claims, actually. Interesting. Um, so I don't know if maybe they're paying out more because of higher haul values. Um, but, uh, you know, these insurance companies, I think because of the low premium compared to the losses now, maybe losses aren't, there's not more losses, but... The premium that you've been paying is so low that it's not covering all the losses they're having. So for a while, it was just like retractable gear aircraft. And then they're like throwing some tailwheels in there with ground loops. And now it's like all across the board, um, we're seeing slight increases on most policies. Yeah. It's also interesting, and if you look at dig into the, some of the stats, there is a little bit of an uptick in in certain accident rates in in general aviation, but not fatalities. Maybe that's attributing it to it also. But uh, you know, I, I I don't dig down into the insurance and the underwriting and all, but uh, I do know one thing. In looking at airplanes, there's certain aircraft that are getting more expensive. Uh, with that said, you're also looking at your insurance becoming a little bit more expensive. That's for sure. But uh, but with all that said it's still, I feel, uh, pretty good uh, where we're at now because if you look at over the, we've had some lows for so long in the insurance industry and it's just starting to uptick now, whereas other things in life have already started on an upward trend. Uh, so anyway, I, I really think that's kind of an interesting report. Definitely go out and check it out. The Null Report is something that uh, is placed together uh, through, you know, donations through the AOPA Foundation, and they've been doing this for years. But the GA Accident Scorecard is a lot of fun to look at for, I guess, those of us that are into statistics and uh, really need to see their charts and and how things have gone up and down. And and the the overall trend is what I look to look at. And it really is is trending in in a good direction. That's for sure, which is what we appreciate. There's a link on our show notes to actual to that report. So if you want to check that out, go to the show notes and we'll link to that, the AOPA 
Null Report, and Accident Scorecard. Now entering cruise flight. So anyway, let's move on to our cruise flight. And this is a topic that is uh, can be very you know, subjective. Uh, we... When I first discussed this at some of the flight schools, you know, I'm involved in collegiate aviation. And interestingly, I, I actually I fell to the floor when I found out the success rate in certain college programs with people and their initial training, meaning their private pilot certificates. And I found out that it is much lower than I thought. I thought in a collegiate environment, you would see incredibly high rates, uh, over 50% in the 60s to 80s. And I was proven wrong today and did a, a little bit of a phone calls and all. And I said, wow, uh, locally looking at about 40% success rate, meaning 40% actually complete the ratings. And I've uh, overall nationwide statistics are 20%. And some of the certified institutions out there, much larger schools are even driven lower looking at uh, below 20, even 17%. And I was absolutely shocked at that, uh, saying to myself, well, gosh, you know, why is that? Is it because of the fact, are we are we just training pilots and just uh, simply uh, training skills, or are we actually training them to become aviators or pilots or uh, somebody who's going to be out there using their skills in the environment in a safe manner? So that's where we want to go with our discussion. Are we truly... Are we training pilots? Are we making aviators? Are we creating those aviators? Or are we just training people to complete their certificate? And uh, I think there's there's two ways to look at this. It's from us as student pilots and also uh, us as instructors and in helping other people move forward. So I'd like to start that discussion uh, with some of the – let's move back to – our remembrance of when we started our private pilot certificate, because a lot of it starts there. And one of the things that I think I found when I did mine, and I like to hear uh, from the other co-hosts, is I back when I started, we didn't have like this pre-solo written exam thing and all that. We just went ahead and said, okay, you're ready to go, jump in the plane and, and solo you. And we were kind of pushed towards soloing because there was a little bit of pressure from our peers that you had to solo in six or seven or eight hours. And that's, that's truly changed. But I really wasn't, I don't think I was, well, no, I know looking back, I wasn't prepared for everything. Uh, and for a lot of different scenarios that might pop up. So looking back at that, and Rick, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as far as your introduction to aviation, getting your private pilot certificate, there was there's two senses you know you wanted to get it done but you also wanted to fly safe now and also become a good aviator did you feel in your training that that you were brought to that pace of let's get it done or were you at a pace of hey i just want to learn this and learn it well i think you know i was i was fine with taking my time you know i wasn't in a hurry because i wasn't planning to do anything other than you know recreationally with it you know it was just a part of it was process for me that that I enjoyed so learning was the almost the goal rather than getting getting to the end you know but that, but it but as and as a result I also traveled at the time for my job so I wasn't able to move as regularly through it you know the idea that being that when a couple of weeks go between flights you you fall back a bit and I, that was sort of my story it took longer than it might have otherwise to to solo, you know, I'd, I'd find my landings and then I'd lose my landings, you know, that they, they wouldn't be as smooth. And so, 
but it took time. There was no pressure. Although I think at some point the guys that were teaching me, you know, were like, you know, you can, you could do this. It had been long enough. I don't remember what the timeline was, but the time I did, I do remember feeling like it had gotten to be a long time that I, cause I hadn't soloed yet. And that seemed dragged out, but it didn't, it didn't really during the process seem too long. I didn't think I was ready, you know, and that's probably true. You never do until your CFI kind of says, yeah, I think you're ready. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't pressure to, to get it done. It was, and I do think the, the, the bigger issue of, yes, I was learning specifics about how to fly a certain plane. Um, uh, and, but generally I was also learning, um, what it means, what the system is, you know, what, how all the parts work together, which is a big part of you know, aviating, I think is, is, um, you can learn to pilot a plane, but you have to, you know, know what part of the system you are at any one point, sort of situational awareness and all that. And that was always part of it too. You know, it was bigger picture stuff. Um, what does it feel like to be in this kind of maneuver or whatever, so that if you're doing it in a different plane, some of that feeling is the same, that kind of thing. So I think the people who taught me did a good job of both getting me task oriented with regard to the plane I was in, but also thinking bigger, you know, bigger picture. I think that's a, it sounds like it because I love what you just said about the situational awareness is, uh, and not just being task oriented. I think too, looking back, um, we find that if, uh, an instructor is really good, we will be asked questions such as, you know, what do you think you're going to do with your rating? Uh, are you going to fly to a certain Island, et cetera? And do you remember, uh, them actually asking you those questions? You know, why do you want to get your pilot certificate, Rick? Um, yeah, probably at the very beginning when I first kind of walked in the door, you know, why are you interested in doing this? And, um, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I imagine it, cause it certainly wasn't about a career because it wasn't my goal. Um, but it was that I really enjoyed the experience, you know, just even just flying, being in the air. And then I'd done a little bit of flying before when I was younger, uh, my dad had done a bunch. And so I had some sense of of that. And I also, you know, had, had room and budget and, uh, wanted to learn something new and had been putting it off. So it was a whole lot of things, but, but they didn't really talk much about what are you going to do with this? I do remember at one point, especially after I, I got my ticket, the, the uh, several CFIs were in the process, although I didn't get turned over a lot. There was really two main ones. And, um, the second, the one who got me through the final, um, sort of, was surprised he came like he he went off or he got a job or did something different and came back and saw me still flying and i remember his comment was hey good you know you're still flying because i think generally they had seen enough people who do it and then walk away you know and so at the time i hadn't walked walked too far away and uh that was something he said which but they never really said you know what are you doing with this what do you plan to do or where are you going to go i mean it was all it was all thought to be uh what you know whatever i wanted to make of it right. so it wasn't it wasn't career or even mission focused Good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just for fun. I mean, that's, uh, I, I actually, the guy asked me when I first got there, I was like, yeah, I, someone said you can actually fly these things. And I was like me, you know, of all people, I didn't think I could. And, uh, and lo and behold, yeah, I could do that. that that's quite interesting. It's kind of, it, it's interesting also that we come to it with an idea, like maybe the actual training itself is something that 
will take us to another place in our own life and put another perspective on life. And maybe it really isn't so much the end goal, but the process of learning something new, whether it's flying or some other type of sport. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it's learn and then apply it either in their life because they said they have a private plane and they have their own business and they need to fly from Boston to Poughkeepsie or something, you know, and there's a reason and it, and, and you do it and then you do it. And some people do it because they want to fly commercially or whatever. And others maybe do it. And my was probably more one of these because the, the end result was kind of exciting to, to believe that I could accomplish it. And the accomplishing of that, of that goal was something that I felt was a fun challenge. And, um, and that's probably more where I, you know, where I came down on it um, as a, yeah, the learning process. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, somebody, some people run marathons because they want to keep running marathons. And some people run marathons to see if they can do it. And then they, they don't run another one. But, but they, they, they conquered that. And that's, that was their goal. So, um, but, but the big question about pilot versus aviator, I don't know how we define those things. And that's really the trick of this question, isn't it? Um, What's you know what are we talking about? And if pilot is specifically knowing how to push the buttons and the levers and watch things, uh, you know, on a particular plane or on a set of planes, versus um, aviation, which is a bigger issue, a bigger thing, and there are you know sort of common uh, common approaches to uh, all sorts of things you do, no matter what the plane. You know that might be one way to define the difference, and I think you do end up learning specifics. But if if you're being taught correctly, you probably are also asked to apply those more generally to understand what that plane over there, even though you don't you don't fly it, the one that's on the crossing runway taking off before you can go. What are they doing? You know, you you, you know what I mean. So sure. for me, it was always observing all the stuff around me that wasn't necessarily what I was doing. But it interacted, and I could see it, and I knew it. There was commonality. You know, I love watching the shuttle glider simulator landing stuff. You know, you can get simulators to to land the shuttle, and you know, it's just it's a big glider. It's a really big, heavy glider. But there's so much that that's the same as what you know, as an engine out right. <laughs> in your in a little Cessna or something. I mean, uh, so so I don't know. I don't know if I'm I'm rambling a bit, except I I think if we define. Like I, I guess I wonder what what you didn't agree with when you heard that statement. Right, right, and that, so let's define that. You know, I think really specifically speak towards his actual comment. Are we just teaching skills as opposed to to making pilots? And I think what his he was alluding to the fact are we are we are learning those rote skills? Are we doing like Rick was doing, is sitting out there and trying to take the knowledge that we have and those basics that we have mastered and apply it to other scenarios? And I think that's that's I think more towards it. In other words, we can teach someone how to do a, a stall uh, a b and c but are we really teaching them why how and and making that whole part of their world as to what's going to happen right. in the real world so the the comment is is sort of more a subtle indictment of types yeah. of teaching scenarios versus the idea that we that ever that in general we don't do it because my guess is you guys you know, you all you, who who teach that you know you, you do the you do the you do the bigger thing. You do the aviation part as a part of it because you know that that matters. And and maybe the comment was more about when we're playing it fast, just trying to get our hours. You know, mm-hmm. if CFI wants to get their hours to get to the airline and and just wants is task oriented. You know, like teaching to pass a test. Yeah, that's a problem, and it's not a good way to go. And that may be what he meant. Yeah, I think, I think so. That's- 
assuming it was a he. I, I didn't hear the name, but I, I just yeah, I, just, I didn't sorry mention the that. name. I didn't want to. That's fine. Yeah, so okay, I'll just he say or he she. or she. Yeah. yeah, I want to be clear. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Victoria. Uh, I think that's why Carl. You know, at first you said you know you were almost a bit offended or right. upset at hearing this phrase because you are a flight instructor who enjoys flight instructing and you really, um, it's your passion. It's something you care about and you care about me making future aviators where, um, there are pilots who are just seeing the CFI as their ticket to the airlines. They're just building hours. And, um, when I think about what kind of flight instructor I want to be, I want to be the passionate one who is teaching people how to think like a pilot, not how just a pilot. And when you introduced this topic earlier, I was thinking my private and most of my instrument, I just learned the motions. I never learned how to think like a pilot. So I was never asked abstract questions like, if this happened in this certain situation, how would you handle it? You know, I mostly recited off, you know, a checklist for engine out. Um, no one ever asked me, oh, why do you think the clouds are this way? And what do you think the weather is doing up there? And, you know, what do you think it'll be in 20 more minutes if it continues this pattern? And is it safe to fly? I was never taught to use all that knowledge that I have learned and to put that into everyday use. I learned checklists. I learned maneuvers, but I didn't learn how to think. And I think that's could be what the author was getting at. Are we thinking like pilots? Or are we just using our pilot checklists? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you're correct. And I think we're using those checklists and uh, in a greater sense too, I think in some of the articles is that, you know, we're just trying to get from point A to point B in our training and get it done as quickly and as cheaply as possible. I hear that a lot of times and, and sometimes we wind up having that happen. It may not even be the instructor's fault looking at ourselves as students. And I've been, you know, uh, done this before is where I said, Hey, listen, I need to get this done. Uh, and I want to get it done in the minimum number of hours possible. I've gotten ratings where I didn't feel I really got much training. Um, where I was just going through the checklist, taught how to do the maneuver, and taught how to do the maneuver so I could pass a check ride with that specific check airman, and that's all I did. I was like, well, gosh, I don't feel like I I really got my rating and I'm ready for this, which brings up a, a really good point. I think we reckon also, Victoria, you talked about it, and we probably should put a definition on it, is where we really taught scenario-based type training where we had a situation put in place, and that's what the FAA wants us to start doing, to teach us to truly be pilots that make decisions. I think scenario-based training is a, is a good way, a good start towards that, in that direction, and uh, in, in starting to become more, not just learning a skill, but becoming an aviator and a pilot. I think that's, that's quite important. You know, Tom, I don't think we heard from you as far as Looking back towards uh, your private and in your experience there, and then I'd love to start looking at it not from the the viewpoint of us as students, but then getting back into it as instructors. And so, Tom, did you did you feel like in your training that you were just like Victoria was talking about? Maybe it's kind of were put through the paces and get your rating done, or did you really feel like you were an aviator when you came out? Yeah, I, I was listening to conversation and just you know kind of brought me back to that whole period, and you know. 
it's funny. The thing that kept resounding in my head is that, you know, when, when I was going for just becoming a pilot, just working on my private, you know, um, the thing that keeps happening or or the, the thought that kept happening over and over in my mind was that, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what the right questions were. I didn't know what the, what it was that I was pointing towards. You know, I mean, all I had is what my instructor provided to me. Um, I had other information. I was doing uh, ground schools. I was, I was keeping my head in the game. It took me a long time to get my private. Um, it wasn't anything that I did that I accomplished very quickly, but I was, um, so, um, taken by the whole aviation theory, if you will, that, you know, um, I did what I could to keep my head in the game in between lessons. You know, at the time I really couldn't afford to fly. So I was, uh, I, I quit a couple of vices. Um, I quit smoking cigarettes and I quit playing golf and that's what funded my, uh, private pilot. I would save my money. Um, once I got $250, saved up, that was enough for a flight lesson. I was down at the airport and I would take another lesson. And in between, I was using a flight simulator to kind of keep my head in the game. And I was working on my ground school and just trying to get that, that information. Um, did it become a place where I was just doing the motions to make, um, maneuvers? Um, I would say yes on some level. However, you know, I was the type that, I wanted to delve deeper. Why am I doing this? Why, what is the purpose of this? And, and I got that information. I happen to have a really, really good instructor who was willing to answer those questions for me, you know, and, and that's what's built me into the instructor that I am today. And we'll get into that conversation next. But at the end of the day, you know, as I learned how to fly and the more that I became involved in the, the national airspace system and, and, and learning things, you know, I, that's when I started finding out the things that I just didn't know to ask. There were, there was things out there that I just didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't know how to ask them. So I was relying solely upon my instructor to give me that information. And did he provide it all? Maybe not, but you know, it, it was good enough to, to keep me moving forward. And you know what? Um, I think now I'm seeing the FAA as, um, trying to uh, understand what it is that we're talking about and they're moving towards that end we're seeing more and more about this scenario-based training and scenario-based questioning um students are going to uh, check rides now and, and that's what they're doing they're asking them questions and they're they're not just pointing to something on a chart and say explain what this is to me instead they're giving them a scenario and then relying upon the student to go in and and um show them their knowledge of the regulations and their knowledge of their their um, maneuvers and, and how it applies to what that question is in that situation and how they can think their way through it and perform um, in an adequate manner as an aviator. And and like I said, that's what I said. When I first started this, I just didn't know what I didn't know and, and didn't know to answer the questions. I look back on it now and thought, had I known that this is what I was going for, I would have asked better questions then. But in looking back, I think, and I don't want to say that it's bad to have some mo rote memorization and just have certain skills in place because you need those. Uh, I think what we're trying to say is that we have to go beyond that. And uh, one of the things that I, I don't want people to think that are listening is that, well, you have to start somewhere. And, and that's true. And, you know, you start getting that situational awareness and then you can start with the scenarios. Uh, but some, I think what we're trying to say is sometimes we don't 
progress past that, just the specific skills. And I'll, I'll just give one example before we kind of move into the, the flight training side of it is the fact that I've gone to those schools where it was a rating type school. You go there, this is, you do this, 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 and this, and this is what you're going to do to pass the check ride. You're not necessarily going to learn everything, but you know, that's just the way life is. We're going to need to learn as much as we can when we go out there in the real world flying. But uh, it was interesting. The comment I heard is from the instructors like, well, don't worry about it. You're going to the airlines. You, you'll have a captain that will teach you how to do all that stuff. It's like, whoa, wait, time out. I want to I know this. And, and that really, it kind of, it bothered me because later when I became an instructor, my goal was to, and I didn't realize that's kind of what I was doing was a scenario-based training. My goal was to make safe pilots, safe and proficient pilots. And to do that, I would go through some incredible scenarios, especially with my commercial students, where I would actually get most of my students, if you were a commercial student of mine, would eventually be mad at me during a flight, because I would ask you to do something that was wrong and unsafe. And I would do it in a very convincing manner. And until you said no, that's when I'd send you to the check ride. I knew you could say no to me. And I knew you could go forward. So that was, it, it was interesting. We do different scenarios for different levels. That's, that's for sure. But should we be teaching rote in the beginning? Of course, yeah. Teach the skills? Of course, in the beginning, we're going to teach skills. Uh, it's just like in riding a bicycle. Now you have to start looking at all the traffic around you, just like in an airplane, et cetera. But now, you know, now that we brought this up, Tom, and uh, as far as instruction is concerned, where you know what do we do as flight instructors uh and looking internally um and, and you know we're probably all guilty of the pressure that we get from the students sometimes saying hey i gotta get this done now we say okay this is what we need to get you through um but are we doing them an injustice by by doing that do we know do we delve into what their purpose is moving forward? Are they going to go on to continued education? Then possibly just getting those skills done right away might be a good thing. But um, I know at certain larger schools, I've seen people that didn't really understand what it was like to go to the different FBOs, and, and they never really got into the true general aviation and the passionate side, obviously, but also other intricacies of working within, just like Rick said and Victoria and yourself, Tom, the working in that environment and the air traffic control environment and also the actual aviating environment and little things. I mean, things I never was taught, you know, the etiquette near a gas pump, things like that. And, you know, what do I do next? You know, here I'm in line at a, a self-serve pump. Gosh, I've, I've never done that before and, and going on from there. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the instructional side of things. And, and one of the things that I do uh, and I think is important for my students is finding out what their what their goals are in, in aviating. I know I had uh, a lot of students say, hey, listen, I really want to go to Key West or I have a house in Marathon or I have a house in the Bahamas and I want to fly from here to there. So not only do I want to learn how to fly, I want to figure out which airplane I need to fly in to get to that point at this speed. And then you start listening to the speed and you say, oh boy, now we're looking at a bigger aircraft. And you tell them, okay, this is the mountain we need to climb, uh, but we need to start right here and we'll start working on those scenarios there specifically for your training. But I also want to make sure that if you don't go to the Bahamas and you wind up say wanting to go to Colorado, that we talk about those things that would be involved there 
with your training in Colorado being very important when you get there talking to local instructors because uh, we have to admit to ourselves as instructors we don't know everything and we should get an expert in those fields. So Tom, uh, starting off with our flight instructor, I just kind of want to hear a little bit about you know, now you're, you're sent many different students. We're sent students often, and um, most of my students that are sent to us are career-oriented. So uh, it's, a, it's a huge and, and much different perspective than in your case. Uh, you know, just from the viewpoint of I'm, in the weekends, I'm sitting at the airport and nothing's happening. Whereas on your side, it's a totally different ballgame, isn't it, Tom? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I've got all sorts of walks of life walking in from, you know, the guy who just is flying as a hobby, which is actually how I started as well. It was just, it was basically that it was, um, it was something I found very interesting and it was a hobby and it, it turned into a career after, um, getting deeper into it. But everything from the, the weekend warrior, if you will, all the way up to the, the career and goal oriented pilot. And I, I see them all, you know, um, and, you know, flight reviews and, and, you know, recurrency and, and all those other pieces in between. Um, I see that as well. Um, you know, as you were talking, what, what came to my mind was this, is that, um, it, it this, this whole topic kind of came to a, uh, uh, enlightenment, if you will, if, if, as I was thinking about the students that I have. And I'll tell you quite honestly, it's, um, you know, um, I have two CFI students and teaching them how to become instructors has opened my eyes to what, what we're talking about here tonight. And basically it's this, I, I try to get them to a place. Now you've got somebody who's gone through all the process. They've gotten their private, they've gotten their instrument, they've gotten their commercial and they're transitioning over to becoming a CFI. And the difference, the, the transition point happens there. And what I try to guide them to do is to learn how to remove themselves from explaining things to actually teaching things. And there's a difference there. And what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to, with every lesson that we do, we're trying to explain why we do it, what standard am I being held to, and what are the common mistakes. And that's that's kind of what the FOIs guide us to do. The Aviation Instructor's Handbook is is all about hitting those three points right there. Why are we doing the maneuver? What standard am I being held to? And why? What are the common mistakes? And as an instructor, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take something that's very very complex and make it simple. I'm trying to simplify it down so that somebody can understand it and then build them up to that complexity so that they can take that and teach it to somebody else. And not only, you know, I mean, we know the levels of learning and getting to the point of correlation, getting to the point where I can take something and apply it in many different areas, right? And that's what we're trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to guide my students to do. When I go out and show somebody how to do slow flight, I'm not just showing them, okay, drop the flaps here, put the power down to this setting, get over there, get your nose on the horizon, hold it here. This is how you do a turn. Don't exceed this bank angle. This is how you recover, you know, and taking them through the process and wrote just memorization on how to mechanically get through that maneuver. But what I'm also trying to do is I'm trying to tell them, why do we do this? Where do we use so flight? It's exactly what we're doing when we're coming in on slow flying. Look at how mushy the controls are getting. This is what we're going to do when we come in and we transition and go from a descending attitude to a straight and level attitude while we're trying to land the airplane. And it makes sense to them. And if you put it in a context like that about why we're using it, why am I doing this particular maneuver to begin with? Now I've transitioned over from just creating a pilot to creating an aviator. And that's just a single example. 
I think it's a great example, especially when you said why. Understanding why we're doing something is incredibly important, um, you know, especially when you're going through certain maneuvers. And it's like, well, you know, telling the student why it makes them more engaged. And there's basically that follow through in their training. I think that was, that was a terrific example. And kudos to you for doing that with a with a CFI applicant, because that is just such an important rating and to have the future pilots that are going to be teaching the future pilots out there and and being a part of that must it seems like that has to be you know a huge responsibility on your shoulders and you you feel that way obviously and and you're doing that you're you're making these future aviators that are going to make other aviators out there and you're not truly you know just teaching those skills you're you're out there teaching becoming a true aviator or true pilot i think is what we're talking about here of course it's very subjective you know what is a true pilot you know we we talk about it at work and you know it's going you know mach 2 and flying upside down and dropping bombs or is it you know flying around in your you know j3 cub i think they all are aviators uh and they all have something to bring to this and one of the things that I think is important, too, for us to learn, and I learned this recently, is we really, you know, don't, no matter what level we're at, we we don't know what we don't know sometimes. And I'm just gotten to it. It's kind of embarrassing to admit this, but I got into an SR-22 and did some flying, and, and that's got back into general aviation. And I, I was like, wow, this is great flying really, you know, low and slow like this. And the individual looked at me and said, well, wait a minute, you know, this isn't, you know, like a low and slow airplane. This is something that goes super fast. And you want to go low and slow, you know, pick up a, a Cub or or something like that or a Stearman. So the next thing I went into was a Stearman. I was like, ah, wow, this is really low and slow and this is absolutely wonderful. But it all is on your perspective. It's, it depends on your perspective. I had um, made a, a mistake and glad I'm glad I didn't jump into it. I was looking for an airplane. I said, well, the SR-22 would be a perfect plane to train people in. It'd be a great starting aircraft. But I had just come from airplanes that are flying a lot faster. So the instructor looked at me and said, well, why do you want this airplane? Ah, there's that question again. Why? And I was like, well, I want to you know, teach people flying this. He says, well, you know, how about the SR 20 or how about the 172 and stuff like that? And started my mind going again, saying to myself, gosh, you know, I've, I've lost certain perspective on things. So every one of us can learn no matter what level of flying or how many hours you have it, it really is, is exciting. And now here I am like, gosh, this is really cool. And then I got looking at seaplanes. So one of the things that I think helps us move along in our journey as pilots, because recreational flying is absolutely wonderful in for our lives in general I, I think it's very fulfilling for us it's challenging and it really brings a new perspective on life for me especially one of the things uh it's gonna kind of sound corny but the one thing that i saw was in the air there are no borders in life uh there's no state lines there's there's no counties it's just it's just just one big world and it kind of made me look at it not you know more philosophically and, and at a viewpoint that said to myself I said maybe I should start looking at the world much differently and it made me do that and so that had a personal impact on me in my personal life uh, and that's what aviation brought to me uh, but you know when we're looking at this and looking at the the training what are some of the other things that that might help us become better aviators you know what what are some of the things that we can do to move forward here now. And, and I want to ask this question, like now what I got my private, I've, uh, I, now what do I do with that? You know, what would, 
make me, because now we're talking about becoming aviators, what would make me a better aviator? And I, I think I'll give one example. I think one of the things that you could do to become a better aviator is just really discuss the flying in your geographic area. You know, really get to know the weather in your area and and how that weather reacts. You know, if you're in a, a moist tropical environment, it's going to be a lot different than say uh, you're up north or in the you know icing and that type of thing. It's like, gosh, not icing. What the heck is that? You know, it's something we don't really see in in Florida that much, but in the Northeast. Uh, there's clouds, it's cool out, you're going to get some icing. So I'm wondering, maybe some of the other co-hosts could maybe tell me some of those ideas that they would have. Now here I am, I have my private, um, you know, where do I go from here? Like, Rick, you know, what what was your thoughts? And I, I know where you are well, now. And yeah, I mean, I started, yeah, I think, I think my initial thing was um, when the weather was uh, conducive to me doing it. Um, and I was pretty conservative on that. Um, I would try to, um, kind of sort of create missions for myself, mostly, you know, going to different airports. I ended up having a chart still do. I'm looking right at it of, uh, the airports in new England that I flew to from Norwood, which is where I was out of. And, um, so I would kind of be trying to go, okay, what, where haven't I gone? Where would be good, cool, you know, kind of cool to go to, um, and it you know, involved just decisions about towered or not towered, uh, everything from do they have a, a nice restaurant to to what's the approach like, and you know okay that's an island let's go you know I haven't flown to Nantucket yet, um, uh, have, you know how far you know what's a, what's a long so so it was kind of creating missions but it was all for fun you know there was pretty much never a, a another reason to do it other than to have the experience. Um, and, you know, and I was making videos of it too, which was fun too. So, but it was all, that's what I sort of set out to kind of do was create missions in the, you know, not in the heavy sense, but just in the, in the focused sense. And, uh, and it was fun. And I, you know, I got to fly to a whole lot of pretty cool places and usually, you know, what length of runway, type of runway you know there's just a lot of things of where am i comfortable what's my what's my comfort zone f at this point and you know gradually i got to try different things in doing that uh different uh you know different approaches and different scenarios that that were um that applied all the bigger stuff but um you know that, that were not just about how to fly that plane so for instance what you said in your scenario you would be wanting to go to nantucket maybe learn some of the weather and uh the yeah, patterns there. sure you know just yeah yeah exactly what you know what's well yeah although i you know like i said i was pretty conservative on weather decisions but um but yeah you know and how to you know just what the what the particular location of the airport if you know and if it was untowered what the what the dynamic at that airport was? Do they do jumping out of that airport? What you know? What do I have to be careful for about that? And so there's a whole lot of you know personal research, getting getting all the information, as I recall from my training about a particular flight um, before going, and um, and also checking off the list of sort of oh I haven't been there yet. Let me do that. Um, so yeah, and it, weather was certainly a factor. Flying but over so the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was that, you know, that was, the, you know, yeah, that was a whole other thing, which was what route should I take, you know, in certain scenarios to minimize my overwater exposure. That was the Nantucket trip was that kind of thing, because you can, you know, you can hit 
Martha's Vineyard and, and and stay above that or above the coast at least, and then cut across. It, it seemed to be the the shortest water jump, and uh, and it worked out pretty well. Well, that's cool, and and I love that. I love stretching ourselves um, just by getting out there and trying new things like that. And of course, jumping in with an instructor is not a bad idea. That's for sure. But uh, you know, I know one thing that. I know Victoria has been involved with lately, which is really cool. Is I see you in airplanes, uh, Instagram and all, and, and just out there playing with some really cool aircraft. One of the things I think that helps, uh, and I, I forget when you did this, but you you received your tailwheel endorsement, and that alone I think increases your skills tremendously in flying. It did. I had no idea what a difference it would make. You always hear about like, ooh, now that you have tailwheel, like you really know how to fly. And I hadn't flown um, our company plane since October, so almost a year. And I went to fly my boss on Labor Day. (laughs) I went with him and his wife to uh, breakfast. And I was so nervous because this is the first time I've flown that plane in a while. I was used to the tailwheel because that's all I had flown the past 20 hours. And both my landings were spot on. I was in the zone. I they I greased them full stall like you didn't even feel touchdown. And I really think it goes to show for the tailwheel endorsement and any other like the more training you get, the more confidence you get, and the more understanding you get of an aircraft and its aerodynamics. And I think learning that stick and rudder skill on the tailwheel um, and understanding really the aerodynamics of what's going on there made me such a more smoother pilot in the tri-gear aircraft, even after that much time without being behind uh, the wheel on that aircraft. Hey, kind of feel the airplane a little more, and that's that's for sure. And you you know we are center of gravity, is that's for darn sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what what a great thing to do, and I I encourage anybody to go out and get some instruction in the tailwheel. Um, just a, it's just such a blast. That's for and the airplanes you get to fly are really cool. What kind of plane did you fly, by the way? Uh, decathlon. Ooh, what a cool aircraft! What a lot of fun that is. I you see know, the big smiles what, every time you're in it. Oh, I do. It's so much <laughs> fun. You know, I don't have to worry about so many switches and levers, you know, there's no flaps. It's just all about your power control and your attitude. And um, something that I took away, one of those moments that it just clicked, everyone talks about how much you have to dance on the rudder pedals. And I always thought that meant you have to be aware of, you know, where your rudder is all at all times and you're constantly, like you're just adjusting it here and there. I wasn't aware that you are nonstop pressing those rudder pedals every which way. And it's literally like you are dancing. And, um, yeah, it, it really made a difference in my skill. And I have so much fun doing it. And I hate that this hurricane is coming right now. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to get out there and fly. So maybe you can get my endorsement because I realized I never had one in my logbook. So uh, that would that'd be kind of cool. Oh, you're not a CFI yet. You're going to get that soon, right? <sighs> Yet I bought a camper van, so um, hopefully That's next right. year. <laughs> cool! I can't wait. I can't I wait. I got to the rentons out of the way. 
good good and that's a lot of fun too learning something new like the written exam and fundamentals of instructing especially if, if you haven't been teaching that's for sure i love training cool can't wait can't wait to see you pass that ride but you're right you know dancing on the rudders we it's funny because we had this discussion uh today i had this with a designated pilot examiner and uh, he was talking about people forget how to use their rudders and i said you know that's something that has been a big issue you know in our, the professional environment where you're seeing a lot of failures because of the fact they just can't land the airplane they forget they have a rudder and in flying no matter what airplane it is there's all these little inputs that you're putting in you're, you're constantly moving and there's there's always something happening uh, even in a larger airplane and we forget uh, that those skills that we learn early on are the same it doesn't matter what size the airplane is it's all the same and having the tailwheel endorsement and flying ga I, I truly can tell a difference uh, flying with those folks that that really are into the art of flying as opposed to just just doing it by rote and and just driving the airplane as they say so Tom, you you had an idea as far as you know possibilities of of different things we can do to increase you know our flying skills and become a better aviator. Sure, absolutely, and and you know um, I'm not going to take credit for this. This uh, belongs to our friends over at M0A and and uh, you know Jason Chappard and his crew. And and one of the things that he talks about and and one of his one of the crew is uh, Dr. Larry Diamond, and he's such a great guy. But um, something he taught me about, you know, kind of becoming your own flight instructor, you know, going out and flying and and picking a day where you go out and do things to keep your skills sharp. In other words, create basically your own lesson plan and go out and maybe fly some slow flight or do some steep turns or maybe try a power off stall, you know, like um, Rick was talking about, about flying to a new destination, doing something different for the sole purpose of keeping yourself sharp on your skills because you're going to have to do recurrent training to keep your certificate active. And, you know, you don't want to walk into a flight review um, without having done any of those skills since the last time you did a flight review, you know. And I say that because I see people who come in and do that all the time. You know, I haven't seen them for two years. They've barely flown a plane at all. And they're like, oh, yeah, I just need to get current again. Can we just go up for an hour and we'll take care of it and be done with it, you know. And it doesn't work that way. You realize or they start to realize what um, I have been preaching all along is that, you know, flying is a degradable skill. It's something that you need to keep current on. So creating your own little lesson plan a lesson plan, a way for you to go through and um, keep yourself current is, is one of almost one of the most important that you can do, things you can do as a pilot. I think that's a great, there's a great example of that where the FAA has come out even, you know, say in the airline environment where I'm flying a lot of my times is uh, they're saying to us, hey, listen, you know, in our company has said, we want you to start doing uh, different types of flying. In other words, turn off some of the, like the auto thrust and, and get the feel for the aircraft manually flying and manually fly approaches, et cetera. And uh, that way you're much more prepared for, for your recurrent. It's, it's funny you said that because a lot lot of times you know people are getting ready for a recurrent because they start turning everything off just to get the feel of the aircraft again and not, not just driving the airplane so uh, really good idea I think that's important to, to kind of make your own uh, lesson plan like you said and say to yourself hey I want to I want to do this flight because of this uh, approach that I'm going to get to do and I haven't done this approach in a long time so this would be a lot of fun uh, so that's that's a great great example as a matter of fact I'm getting current again uh, in general aviation aircraft 
and different types. And it's quite important for me to also have my own lesson plan because I know what I need to do when I'm out there. I'm with an instructor, but I say to myself, this is what I want to do. And even when I'm by myself, I'll go out and doing stalls, turns, spins, rolls, whatever it is, uh, you know, in the different types of aircraft. And you, you just don't do that on 172, by the way. But what, one of the things that's really important is in your environment, you figure out what's best for you. If I'm going up in the aerobatic plane, then I, I know what I'm going to do there. And I'm going in a 172, I know what I need to do there. Uh, same thing in any type of aircraft that you fly. But uh, anyway, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I really want uh, think that this has been a great discussion as far as uh, looking at training pilots uh, or just sim- simply teaching skills. Are we training to become aviators or are we just learning skills? Yes, it's important to learn those skills, but we need to move beyond that. Uh, we need to start getting involved in, in other ways that we can learn, you know, doing pilotage, I think, uh, in turning off the GPS, say, or uh, landing on different air aircraft or, or airport, excuse me, and landing in uh, areas that were stretch our zones and stretch our comfort level, going out to the islands and stuff like that and fly. I think that's extremely important because it what it does is it takes those skills, reinforces those basic skills again, and then it adds to those. And you really do become a much more well-rounded pilot with many different experiences. And it does make you a safer pilot because it not only makes you more confident, but it also enables you to experience those things uh, without just reading about them. So most importantly, though, if you don't know something, uh, be humble, get out there, jump in with an instructor and uh, and learn in that aircraft and then go out there and and, and really challenge yourself. Uh, but do it safely, of course. Well, gosh, um, one of the things that I think has been a great takeaway from this for me is that I really shouldn't have uh, been so angry when I first heard that statement uh, that, you know, flight training is great for teaching skills, but is terrible for making pilots, because I think I, I now realize that perspective. I think when I heard that, I was a little offended because I'm like, no, I train pilots, but but you know, they're, maybe the person's right, and, and I think we found that in many scenarios it is correct, but we can do something to change that, and I think that's what we've discussed today. Uh, so I think this has been really important for us and important for you, the listener, and I really challenge you to do something uh, that'll actually challenge you as a pilot and make you a better aviator. Our Picks of the Week. Well, moving on to our after landing checklist, this is the time where we get our picks of the week. So our pick of the week, let's see, Victoria, why don't we uh, start us off with the pick of the week? Sure thing. Um, My pick of the week is a new podcast I discovered. It's called Aloha 360, and it's all about Hawaii, as you can guess from the name. But um, the hosts are a husband and wife, and they're both pilots. And um, it's a mix of aviation and uh, what you can do around Hawaii on their podcast. But um, the one that I thought was most fitting and uh, very interesting is episode 50. Um, It's hurricane hunting in Hawaii with NOAA pilot Rebecca Waddington. And they interview a female pilot from NOAA. And uh, it's all about, you know, going through hurricanes and how she was the on the first all female crew for a NOAA mission. So um, quite a unique podcast, a lot of different episodes, but uh, episode 50 was one that really stood out to me. 
Awesome. And you can find that where uh, on the internet again? That's on thealoha360.com. The Aloha 3. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so 360. 360. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. we'll have a link in the show notes, so make sure you check out the show notes and link to that. Some cool pictures, too, by the way, on that. Um, awesome. They're awesome stuck stuff. mic listeners as well, so shout out for them. <laughs> and they've mentioned us on their podcast before, so we appreciate awesome. that. Awesome. Hey, stuck mic selfie in the cockpit of Noah. Hurricane yeah. Hunter, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing to expect. But uh, we really appreciate them listening. Hopefully uh, they've enjoyed this episode. Um, let's see. Next one will be from myself. Um, I you know hate to talk about this all the time, but it's really that time of year. And uh, the Aerospace Scholarships Guide, we have a new video out there just describing what the guide is because some people have been asking me what's actually in it. It's a quick four-minute video. Uh, just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com and click on scholarships or go to aerospacescholarships.com. By the way, many, many more scholarships are being placed in there for recreational pilots. Many have been in there for recreational pilots. There's no need to look at it as a career. Uh, AOPA has a lot of uh, different scholarships out there. And one of the things we just started adding is uh, many different soaring scholarships. And that's actually something I'm looking into is try to get a scholarship to do uh, my rating, finish up my uh, commercial uh, uh, glider rating and, and move forward in that direction. So it's really exciting uh, to see uh, and hear back from so many people have actually been able to, to use that. So check that out. It's a new quick video about what the guide is all about, what to expect, etc. So that's my pick of the week. Uh, let's see. Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, my pick of the week is a repeat, but I, I keep bringing this up because it's uh, something like every time I show a student this thing, they're like, just like, wow, this is so cool. So it's earth.nullschool.net. And what it basically does is shows wind currents, ocean currents. Um, you can find on there um, the movement of chemicals and particulates in the air and how they move across the earth. And what I use this for from a teaching standpoint is I use the wind currents to show students what are the effects of a warm front or a cold front or a high pressure system or a low pressure system. And what made me look at it tonight, I mean, as we're recording this, there are four hurricanes out in the Atlantic. And if you zoom in on this thing, you know, and you can see them all out there and, and moving around, you can see their wind speeds and all that. If you go into some of the settings, which is under the earth button, and you start looking at the ocean currents and things like that. So Hurricane Florence is out there right now. And there is a, um, you know, I, I just clicked a spot on it and, and the waves are moving at from three zero zero, the wave period, 16.2 seconds, and they're 44.8 feet tall. And I, I, I don't know. I just can't wrap my head around that. You know, um, I can't even imagine a 40 foot wall of water, you know, moving across out of the center of this hurricane. So, I mean, it just, it, it just reminds me just how puny I really am. And, you know, I mean, I, f I figure that out when I'm in the plane all day long and just how small I am when I see over the top of the earth. But when I start looking at it at this level, you know, just overall, what's the weather doing? Because, you know, this starts out when I have a student that shows up and I, you know, they walk in the FBO and, and I ask them, I say, OK, what's the weather to doing today? You know, and they'll recite to me the METAR and I go, nope, stop, back up. Let's go back and talk about how we learned how to do weather. I want to know more than that. You know, why is the wind heading, you know, 
330 at seven knots. Oh, well, it's because, you know, we've got this high pressure up to the north of us and it's spinning in a certain direction. And now that's what's pushing the winds in that way. And it's like, okay, now you're looking at the weather. You're, you're not just localized on where we are here. You're starting to figure out what these weather patterns are and what they're doing and how they do that. I heard Victoria mention that earlier as well. So this particular tool, this particular website helps my students wrap their heads around that. So that's why I keep sharing it. It's an awesome pick of the week, and I love looking at that. When you said that, I pulled it up, and I was like, whoa, yeah. there's all those hurricanes out there. And they, you know what? The data, it's just better data all the time, so they keep improving it because it's so software-based that as a product, it's only getting more and more interesting. Um, yeah, it's great. It's very cool, especially to you know in this season the movement is is so interesting to watch the interaction in oh fact, absolutely and we'll watch it over a couple of days it just yeah you know, that, that, start getting I mean, sucked into this thing and start going wow yeah. so that's why the weather is happening the right i mean you'll be able to if you, yeah if you watch that hurricane i mean if people listening to this it may be it may be over by the time i think I, when but it's going to get apparently going to slow down and stall because of the fronts that are to the sort of northwest and north and north and you know, drive it a little bit right now. They're saying maybe you know once it hits land, you know, over to over Georgia a bit, but um, but that'll all play out uh, on that null site, and you can watch it. It's pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it's funny if you um, start getting into winter, you, you get into winter time and start yeah. watching the front start moving out of the Canadian regions and down into the southern area of the country. Uh, I was always told, well, you, you know a cold front because the wind direction changes. I could never wrap my head around that until I saw the site. I saw this strong cold front coming through, and I saw the exact directions that the winds were blowing at the front, and I went, oh, it makes perfect sense now. Wow, what a great teaching tool. That that's a wow. This is awesome. I I just thought when you said it was like epiphany. Hey, I should share this to my students, uh, just like you're saying to discover what it looks like with a, a cold front moving and why the wind shifts. So sure. great. There's some pe people learn graphically. As soon as they see it, they go, "Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about." Yes, I'm definitely like that. So thanks for sharing that, and uh, it's really easy to find earth.nullschool.net, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Well, uh, last but not least. Uh, Rick Felty, what is your yeah. pick of the week? I'm gonna I'm gonna take you know one of my one of one of one of my few um, self-serving uh, picks and mention something that's available right now that that uh, that I've produced that's kind of fun and has I think pretty much zero to do with aviation except that it involves uh, giving a toy to a kid and many of you may have kids and so I thought I would at least take the opportunity to say that. Um, in basically in the month of September, but you know when you're first listening to this, in I should say September 2018, um, there is a, I've I've got four books that are based on a character called Tabitha Fink. It's a one-eyed cat uh, for kids, teaching lots of fun lessons about life, and we've now managed to make and offer a plush doll that is available for two-week period in September for sale. And if we sell enough of them, we'll make it. And otherwise we won't sort of like Kickstarter. And uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. You can also go to tapofthefink.com if you want to find out more. Cool thing for kids, you know, your grandkids, your kids, and uh, uh, it'll be available in time for the holidays. So there you go. When's totally self-serving. Very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we'll have to talk sometime because I'm learning a lot. Oh, uh, it's never quite as it's like like you know from doing the books you've done it's never quite as simple as as it looks there's but, a lot of work yeah and there's a lot of yeah that's so anyway so yeah we'll have the link and uh you know just if if it appeals to you go for it and you have a cool video about it i do 
that, which was shot on an iPhone. Yes. Speaking oh, of uh, wow. coming full circle on our conversation about video production. Yeah. Awesome. Because it was the best camera I had. I mean, I have a lot of cameras, but that was that was the one that would shoot the <laughs> best stuff. I had a few other little gadgets from work that helped do some things. But Maybe yeah. we could put a link to that video, too. That would be neat in the show notes. It's actually on the sales page. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's some, a much long, Actually, a much longer one. So if you go, you don't have to click You don't have to click buy, but if you want to watch that video. Um, yeah, I used a few cool tools from work, a thing called a slider, which, which lets the camera move, but you don't have to have a whole dolly it's kind of a clever thing so, awesome yeah. i can't wait to yeah, see we'll have it to talk whole about thing. That. yes yeah. that's for sure we'll, <laughs> we'll have a link in the show notes and go yeah. check out the cool. video check out that uh and uh, next thing i want to see is tabitha fink flying uh with i know i've got it that that should be the next uh the next book which yes because of this won't come out this year but hopefully i can make that happen for next year be kind of cool if tabitha fink yeah. met a flying dog like turbo yes it's true i well that's the other thing i have to find a way to make it different because <laughs> crossover there are, series there Ooh. already is a really good flying uh, animal series <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thanks rick i really appreciate that and uh all the really cool picks of the week um and this has been a lot of fun bringing this to you and there's a lot of opinions that were uh, brought forth by this and love to hear your feedback on this one and what other things that you can think of that would help us create better aviators both our ourselves and our friends that are out there and i really challenge you the listener to go out there try something new today or someday in the future you know start planning and getting ready for possibly another rating or another flight in a tailwheel try that out do an aerobatic flight uh something that's fun and increases your knowledge but also is fun and that's really important we're doing this uh, for recreation it's something that we really really enjoy being up there uh, in the clouds around the earth watching the world go by and and not seeing those borders like you see on maps i think that's absolutely wonderful and it's an experience i wish we could share with everybody out there so maybe that's what you need to do next is is get a new passenger in the plane with you but whatever it is do something uh, to bring aviation uh, to a higher level in your life and your friends' lives. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.